Columbus Blue Jackets are proud to select Jack Wierenski, Kent Johnson, Cole Sillinger, David Yurichek. Welcome to another edition of the Pipeline Podcast presented by Ruoff Mortgage. I'm your host, Dylan Tyre, and we're getting back to our pre-draft coverage this week. Of course, the Blue Jackets have the third overall pick coming up in Nashville. June 28th is the first round. And here to talk about some options for the Blue Jackets at three overall and beyond is Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. Now, Scott knows everything there is to know about prospects in the NHL draft. So, Scott, thanks very much for taking the time to do this with us. Thanks for having me. I know I uh, I put a delay on this a couple of times when you've reached out, so I'm happy we can finally make it work. Absolutely. How about we don't waste any more time, and I want to ask you straight away, because you've come out with a couple of mock drafts mocking Will Smith to the Blue Jackets at number three overall. A lot of the folks that I've talked to leading up to this interview with you like Leo Carlson at three overall for the Blue Jackets. So why is mm-hmm. it Will Smith for you? I just think it makes a lot of stylistic sense in terms of what they've tried to add and what they still need to continue to add. Uh, I think they, they've shown a clear priority in going out and getting players like John Goudreau and, and Ken Johnson in particular of guys with a lot of skill on the puck, guys who can make plays, guys who can hold it and hang on to it and drive offense and put up points and run power plays. And it does feel like a third guy in that vein, in that mold, would just really make a lot of sense, especially a natural center. And and Smith just checks those boxes. He's probably the most gifted, and this is not a knock on Matt Bamichkov or Connor Bedard. He's probably the most gifted player in terms of breaking down opponents one-on-one with the puck on his stick in this draft. Uh, arguably a top one, two, three sets of hands. I would put Gabe Perot uh, and Connor Bedard in there as well, but the, there's a strong case to be made that he's got the best hands in the draft. And, Uh, That in concert with how quickly he plays, his ability to do it at speed, his ability to process and problem solve out there offensively, it's a pretty tantalizing uh, sort of option for them, especially because he plays down the middle. Obviously, Leo Carlson plays center as well, has played predominantly the wing uh, to date in in the SHL, but wants to be a center long-term, came up as a center, is now playing center at World Championships for Sweden. So all of that uh, is a factor as well. But I just think you you're, you get a little bit more pace, a little bit more skill, a little bit more of a dynamic quality in a player like Will Smith. And they need that. And I think he could, uh, a Will Smith, that is, could really fit with, with some of their shooters as well. Could really complement uh, a Patrick Ryan, a Kirill Marchenko, a Igor Chinikov, guys who can really let it go. Um so that piece, I think, is is appealing as well and just makes a, a lot of sense. I think he's going to maybe not be the most well-rounded player in this draft long term, but I think Will Smith has has an opportunity to be one of the most productive in terms of a point-producing perspective uh, in this draft after that sort of Connor Bedard echelon that kind of exists on its own. I feel like he's kind of being billed as the high upside guy right now. You've got Leo Carlson, who's maybe a safer pick, I guess some people would say. And obviously you have Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli. They've been one, two for a long time now. But is that fair for Will Smith or is is he a little bit more than that? Uh, certainly his game, his play off the puck has never been his calling card. I actually thought he made real progress there this season in terms of tracking back, lifting sticks, coming up with loose pucks. Uh, still not a guy you're going to see sort of on the cycle grinding and getting after it on the forecheck and winning battles with his physicality. That's just 
not really who he, who he is. I would add that outside of Adam Fantilli and Connor Bedard, that's not really who any of the, the next best options are. Leo Carlson's not an imposing, he, despite being much bigger than Will Smith, is not imposing physical player, doesn't engage in sort of finishing all of his checks and all of that, plays a, a, a sort of a passive defensive style, still a very well-rounded player. But uh, yeah, they're, they're, I think because he's viewed as Will is viewed as kind of a player who just skews towards offense, there's that natural connection to be made of, okay, this is a, a riskier pick or a high upside pick. I still think there's a lot of safety in, in Will Smith becoming a player. There, there just aren't many players I've seen. I've been doing this for 10 years now. There aren't many players I've seen come through the draft who can do what he can with the puck on his stick. And so while he may not be a Selkie winner or a guy who's out there for defensive zone face-offs in the final minutes of the game, uh, I still fully expect him to be a driving player, to be a potential first line center, to be a top six play creating player. So uh, those guys don't don't grow on trees in their own right. So that's that I think that would be the case for Will Smith if if there were one. It's very clear that he is a dynamic, dynamic player with the puck on his stick. Does his game remind you of anyone in the NHL right now or maybe in the past? Does he play like anybody? I think there's a little Panarin. Uh, in the way he plays, I think there's a little Kuznetsov in the way he plays. Um, just those those guys who can really sort of crack open a game offensively. They're maybe not the most well-rounded player. They maybe have to be supported by other players who sort of lift them up defensively or add a little bit of physicality to a line. But players who in their own right are Kuznetsov with the Capitals, obviously in Backstrom's absence, is a first-line center. Uh, and certainly we know what Panarin is. Obviously Panarin's a winger, so it's a little bit of a different dynamic. But uh, those are those are probably the the two guys stylistically that, that really pop into my head. All right, that's cool. I'm sure Blue Jackets fans are happy to hear an Artemi Panarin comparison. He was a great Blue Jacket for his couple of years here at Nationwide Arena. Uh, what does the timeline look like for Will Smith, do you think? Obviously he's committed to play at Boston College next year. Is it a one-and-done type situation? Do you think it could be longer than that? What are your thoughts there? Certainly two and done is probably the limit. Um, we've seen the path that Logan Cooley has taken, for example, this year. I expect that he'll take uh, similar considerations. We saw increasingly we're starting to see forwards go back for those second years. We saw Matt Foldy go back for a second year. We saw Cole Caulfield go back for a second year. And I think that's a realistic expectation. I wouldn't be shocked if he went in and had 40 points in 30 games and was a one and done player and sort of made that jump immediately. Uh, but it does feel like two and done. It makes a little bit more sense for him. He's made a lot of progress physically. He's a six foot, 180 pound kid now. He's not small by any means, but you do, when you bump into him, you see the potential for more growth. He looks like an athlete. He looks like he can get a little bit stronger. So two years that way could help him if he can add five, eight, 10 pounds of muscle that could go a long way as long as it's, he's not sacrificing some of his skating for it. Um, and then it just opportunity as well to work on that that defensive game to round out his game. He has told me throughout this year in conversations that he wants to be a penalty killer at the next level. And then he thinks he's got the kind of game that could really create offense on the penalty kill. He's brought up players like Mitch Marner to me who are penalty killers with their teams uh, and create offense while down a man. So he's got little things like that that he wants to work on face off detail penalty killing. Uh, so just two years will give him a better opportunity to do that and to really be a horse at Boston College. So uh, either way, though, you're you're not looking at a 21 or 22 or 23 year old by the time he's done. I think Blue Jacket, if, if he's the pick, Blue Jackets fans can expect him to see him at 19 or 20 years old. 
All right, another area that I have to ask you about on behalf of, I think, every Blue Jackets fan out there, is there any chance that the Anaheim Ducks pass on Adam Fantilli at number two overall? Yeah, I think there's a chance. I don't think it's out of the question. Um, certainly, I still think he's the front runner just because of what he's accomplished, because of his size, because of the way that he skates. He's one of the best skaters in the draft. He's six foot two. He has a physical element to his game that the other players at the top lack. Um, although Bedard has made a lot of progress there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. Certainly, he's he's been okay in a sort of fourth line, uh, 13th forward role at Men's Worlds. Uh, he was in a similar role at the World Juniors. So despite the Hobie Baker season and the historic production as a freshman at Michigan, there have been at least one or two moments where a lot of scouts are watching. Uh, maybe it's unfair to put too much emphasis in the World Juniors or in the World Championships. I actually thought once he got demoted from the top six to the bottom six at the World Juniors that he was excellent, excellent in that role. So, um, it, yeah, there's, there's, there's pause, especially with, Leo Carlson going out the other day and potting two and the way that he's played at worlds at men's worlds and the way he played in the SHL down the stretch. Um, I would not be, I would not be stunned uh, to see Leo Carlson go two and, and Adam Fantilli be available three. Uh, but I do st- still think if, if I were setting the betting lines, for example, that, that the favorite to go to would still, still be Adam Fantilli over Leo Carlson. All right. We got to talk about Leo Carlson. Then what makes him a special player? Just, just the cerebral quality that he has. He's a big kid. He's six foot three, hundred ninety pounds. You bump into him, you still realize that he's got a lot of room to fill out. He actually looks like a pretty underdeveloped kid. He's not one of those kids who looks like a like a hockey player in, in say the way that Cole Sillinger did in his draft year, where you could just tell broad shoulders, really strong, stocky kid. Um, and and on the opposite end of the spectrum, Kent Johnson didn't look like that, right? So everybody's at different stages in their physical development. Leo's a big kid, six foot three, as I mentioned, but still has room to grow there. But the, his game is all about slowing it down, playing at his pace. He's not a super fast player. He's not, as I mentioned, a super physical player, but just sort of processes out there, reads the play at an extremely high level, understands where to be on the ice, where to go on the ice, how to make plays, has great sort of finesse skills as a passer and handler of the puck for a player his size. And just sort of maneuvers and and sort of slips his way around the ice, making plays. He's not going to be a volume shooter. He's not going to be a guy who has six, seven, eight shots on goal in a game. More of a sort of passing, playmaking type. Uh, but if he can score 20, 25 goals in a season and be still be a 70, 75 point center and have that element of size and play on your top power play unit, that's still a, a top three pick all day in the draft, right? So. I think that's what you're hoping for uh, out of him is can he follow a path similar to uh, a Miko Rantanen? Now, Rantanen has scored 50 goals now, but Rantanen has primarily until this season been more of a playmaker, used his size to slow down the game, to make plays as a passer. That's kind of what you would imagine for, for Leo Carlson. He's not going to sort of dangle his way to the net or rip pucks past goalies. He's just a really smart, heady playmaking center. What do you think about time frame for Leo Carlson? He's played pro hockey the last couple of years over in Sweden. And, you know, you might look at those numbers baseline and say, okay, they're not gaudy numbers, but he's doing it as a U20 player in that league, which is really, really impressive. But the people that I've talked to, they say because he's played that pro hockey, maybe he comes to training camp here in North America and he fits in the NHL and he sticks in the NHL. So is there that potential that he could be in the National Hockey League or the American Hockey League this coming season? Or do you think it's going to be a little while for Leo Carlson? 
Unfortunately, because of his contract status, I would be a little surprised he's signed to go back there and play in the SHL next season. And I think that will be good for him. He played really well for them. He played in sort of a top nine role on the, on left wing, but I think they want to see him come back and play center for a full season in the SHL. I imagine that the team that drafts him would like to see the same, uh, see him get his sort of take some more bumps, get, pushed around a little bit more at center than he would at the wing and just sort of learn to play that style, that heavier game, get a little bit stronger, all of that. So I fully expect next year he'll be, he'll be playing in the SHL. He'll look to follow up on what was an excellent, as you mentioned, 25 points in 40 games for a teenaged player in arguably the third best pro league in the world. Uh, that's, that's no small thing. He had one of the better 19 year old, 18, 19 year old seasons in, in the history of the SHL this season. So, uh, go back next year, sort of do what, what William Nylander and what Lucas Raymond did and try to sort of push it another step further. And then, and then you're looking in 2023, 2024, or 2024, 2025, um, you're looking at him to, to sort of potentially come over and, and begin to make an impact in the NHL in a best, in a sort of best case scenario. I remember first hearing about Connor Bedard when he was probably 14 or 15 years old. And it was, you know, this guy is the next generational talent in the National Hockey League. But in that same breath, people would say there's this kid in Russia named Matvey Michkov, mm-hmm. and he's right up there with Connor Bedard. And it was always Connor Bedard and Matvey Matt Michkov won too. And then obviously the situation in Russia has changed that because we haven't seen Matvey Michkov playing against his peers on the international stage in quite a while. And, you know, for the last year, year and a half, it's been Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli at one, two. But in your eyes, you know, the situation in Russia aside, the situation with Matvey Michkov's contract status aside, is he the second best player in this draft? I think there's a real strong case. I'm putting the finishing touches on my final draft board at the athletic as we speak. And he might be there. I I will say that. So um, yeah, it's, he's a special talent, the best Russian prospect since the the 2004 draft when Ovechkin and Malkin went back to back one, two Um, better prospect at this stage than Andrei Svechnikov, who we know is now a point per game player for the Carolina hurricanes, obviously Uh, really a historic generational talent in his own right for that country they have not produced a talent like this in 20 years so uh that piece of it is is extremely impressive what he did this season in Sochi uh was extremely impressive obviously requested a move away from his club team to Sochi Sochi's a really poor team so there there was that to consider he part of his success there was that he was a talented player on a terrible KHL team and he got to play first power play and, and first line in a way that you wouldn't get to for a CSKA or for a Spartak or uh, some of the sort of giants of the KHL, if you will. So that was a factor. I think his numbers were a little inflated just by the opportunity he was given after his move midseason this year. Uh, but even every step of, of the way below that, two years ago when he last competed internationally, he was a double under underager playing in Texas at U18 Worlds and almost broke the record, the scoring records there as a double underager. Had he been at U18 Worlds in Germany or Switzerland since, I can't even harbor a guess to, to how productive he would have been. I think had he been at the World Juniors in Edmonton, he would have had an opportunity to play twice in Edmonton at the World Juniors and actually three times in Edmonton at the World Juniors. And then again uh, in Halifax this last last uh, December, he would have been, I think he would have been right there with Bedard. We all know that it was the Bedard show in, in Halifax. And I think Michkov would have put up 15 points in that tournament 
fairly comfortably. So um, I think the conversation would be a little bit different about him had that happened. Uh, obviously, there are other elements, though. There is There are legitimate reasons to pause with Michkov, regardless of, of the contract. A little bit smaller. He's a five foot nine, five foot ten winger. He's gotten stronger. I actually think he's a pretty stocky kid, just sort of seeing him on tape. I run into him a couple of times at the rink, but that was a couple of years ago, obviously. Um, yeah, stronger kid than he looks, but uh, the small wingers tend to fall. That's just the reality of the draft. It happened. Alex Debrinkit, Cole Caulfield, last year with Jonathan Wickeramaki and Joachim Kemmel. You go down the list, those five foot nine, five foot ten wingers, when push comes to shove, teams are going to take the center or or the defenseman when the chips are on the table on draft day and and live with those mistakes if a winger, a smaller winger really pans out. So uh that's a factor, just the size. He's not a super competitive, well-rounded defensive player, uh, not the best skater in the draft. But just the talent level is is unbelievable. I mean, he's every tool gets a high grade. His shot, his hands, the way he passes the puck, the way he can maneuver inside the offensive zone, his ability to to pick teams apart on the power play. I truly believe he's got an opportunity when he, if and when he comes over, to be a, a one of those sort of top ten scorers in the league. It wouldn't be the least bit surprised if Matt Vanichkov had a hundred point season in his career. That's that's the kind of talent that we're talking about. So, uh, and I haven't felt comfortable about saying that about any prospects in the last 10 years of doing this work, other than Connor Bedard and Connor McDavid. I didn't say that about Austin Matthews. I, I wasn't sure that Jack Hughes was going to get to where Jack Hughes has got. Uh, so it's pretty rare praise. He's a, if he goes third or fourth or fifth, he'll be the most talented player to go third or fourth or fifth that I can recall. So um, that's, that's the kind of player we're dealing with, but obviously tons of, of practical realities that that do complicate that selection all right we do kind of have our consensus top five all the guys names that we've mentioned with Connor Bedard Adam Fantilli Leo Carlson Will Smith and Matt Vamichkov is there any chance we're kind of late in the process right now but is there any chance that another player sneaks into that conversation not really I I do think that Will Smith Leo Carlson Adam Fantilli and uh, and Connor Bedard will be gone within the top five. Michkov's really the only question mark there. Um, I think Montreal, if he's there, if he's the guy who's left at five, will have a very interesting decision to make on Michkov. Uh, obviously, we know that if he's available as far as, say, Washington at number eight, that there are clear connections there. Uh, they drafted uh, Ivan Mirishnichenko, a Russian, with their first round pick last year. There's obviously the the relationship with Alex Ovechkin and uh, all of that. So uh, I don't think he'd fall past sort of seven, eight. I think even the Philadelphia Flyers would have a tough time adding, not adding the, a skill like that to their organization when they so desperately need it. Uh, but outside of those five, I, I really don't think you're going to see someone sort of break into that echelon of prospect. I wouldn't be surprised if David Reinbacher went five to Montreal, for example, if, if they decide that Michkov's not for them. Um, He's the, obviously the consensus number one D in this draft. There's almost always one defenseman taken in the top five. This would be the first in a long while where that hasn't happened if, if it were to go a different direction. Uh, and Reinbacher's just the, the, his proximity to the NHL, I think, excites a lot of teams. He's the only player other than Bedard and Fantilli who I think could realistically play in the NHL next year. Um, he's played at a very, very high level. That Swiss National League is one of the top pro leagues in the world. 
they're now paying players more than they get paid in in Switzerland and or in Finland and and Sweden, for example. And they're attracting a lot of talent to Switzerland, and it's really challenging those other top leagues over there uh, as sort of an equal. So for for him to be a top four defenseman to play twenty minutes a night in that league, that's a that's a big deal. And and I think teams are excited about the potential of bringing him over next year and playing him in the AHL or in the NHL a lot, like we saw with Simon Nemec and obviously David Yerichek this year. Um, so he's he's really the one name who I could I could imagine sort of sneaking into the top the top five at kind of the four or five range if uh, if it were to go that direction. The last thing I want to ask you about these top five guys before we get into maybe some other options for the Blue Jackets later in the first round and into the second. There's Connor Bedard at number one. Then there's Adam Fantilli at number two. What's the drop off realistically between Adam Fantilli and Leo Carlson or Will Smith? I think Fantilli, just because of the the physical element that he has, that sort of fiery competitiveness that he has, his upside is ultimately just a, a sort of touch higher than those guys. I think offensively, they've all got an opportunity to be first-line producers, produce at a point-per-game level in the primes of their careers, all of that. I think you're going to see in Fantilli, if he really figures it out and puts all of the pieces together, just a, a, a maybe a, beyond the points, maybe just a more impactful player. He, the way he skates, the way he's going to be able to get after it on the four check, uh, those things are are sort of notches on his belt, if you will. But there's, I, I think there's still a real strong case to be made that Michkov and Carlson and Will Smith are are right there in the same tier uh, as as Adam Fantilli. I really do think it's become Connor Bedard and then then that next four. So uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not bullish on Adam Fantilli being the clear cut. He sort of, he's going to be the second best player in this draft, uh, making that kind of a statement. I think there's a real opportunity for him to get there. And because of his roundedness, he's going to add elements to a line that some of those other guys lack uh, while still being a very talented player. So uh, that's, I think, the, the differentiator if there is one. All right. Who are some names that we need to familiarize ourselves with at number 22 overall for the Blue Jackets? This is a deep first round, so there could be a few, but but who do you like there? Yeah, 22 is interesting, going to be interesting. I believe that there's, for me on my board, there's going to be a clear-cut top 16. And as always happens at the draft, there's always, in a range like that, for me, there's always a couple of those guys that are still available at 22, 23, 24. My top 16 and the consensus top 16 do differ. So uh, I think the, the three top defensemen in this draft will be gone. David Reinbacher is going to go in the top 10. I expect that Axel Sandin Pelika will go in the sort of t- early teens. And now Tom Willander, another Swedish defenseman, has really emerged to join those two. And I expect him as well to be gone before 22. So as a result, I think once those three defensemen are off the board, you may be looking at, at taking a second forward there. I think there's a real possibility that they take two forwards with their picks. Obviously they've got comfort in doing that, having taken a Denton Matejchuk and having taken a David Yerichek and having Corson Kuhlman's on the way. And there is a little bit of Stanislav Zvozil on the way. There's, there's good depth in within the organization on defense. Uh, I think they would, in a best case scenario, maybe like to add one forward and one defenseman with those two picks in the first round this year. But I think there's a real opportunity for them to really inject some talent into the organization and take two forwards as well. And I expect that the the, the four or five or six best players available when it's their turn will all be forwards. Uh, as far as names, I, I think you can look at sort of the second tier of forwards in this draft. So a player like Callum Ritchie of the Oshawa Generals comes to mind. Callum was a top two pick into the OHL, uh, sort of a star in minor hockey. 
has been extremely productive in front of the lineup roles with Hockey Canada at the international level. Less productive with Oshawa in the OHL, kind of a point-per-game player, so not those glossy stats that you typically see in first-round picks, but did that this year while dealing with a shoulder injury and while playing on an Oshawa Generals team that had virtually no talent around him. So I think had Callum Ritchie played on a Peterborough Pete or a London Knights, one of the more talented teams in the OHL this year, you'd be having a very different conversation about his his point production and that piece of it. So Richie's a really exciting player. I think he's got an opportunity to be a solid second or third line productive power play center, um, sort of a, a could play behind a Will Smith, for example. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, and then uh, other there are a few other guys in that range. A couple of other OHL guys, Colby Barlow is a sort of strong pro-built winger who can really, really rip the puck, not unlike some of the wingers that the Blue Jackets already have. Um, Quinton Musty's an American kid uh, from Buffalo who played in the OHL, was the first overall pick into the OHL directly ahead of Callum Ritchie, uh, played for the Sudbury Wolves this season. Another kid who's sort of built like an NHL or already very athletic, stocky, strong, tall kid, but also has plenty of skill and makes a lot of plays out there. Um, so those three are, are probably going to be in the mix at forward in that range. Uh, but you could go down the list. There are there are several players. If they do go defensemen, I think Russian Mikhail Guliaev could be interesting. They've obviously got a little bit of a track record bringing over Russian players recently. And Marchenko, obviously Chinikov, you go down the list. Um, so that piece of it, I think, is interesting. Guliaev is and should be a consensus sort of top D in this draft. I think he'd belong in that group with Sandy and Pelika and Will Onder and, and David Reinbacker, if not for everything that's gone on in Russia. A little bit smaller. Uh, Gliev is a five foot ten offensive defenseman. I've had scouts compare him to, to Quinn Hughes a little bit to me. Um, not going to, I don't think, get to that Quinn Hughes level, but has an opportunity to be a very dynamic offensive defenseman, power play quarterback type in the NHL. And uh, if he's there at 22 and they feel comfortable that they can get him over here and the geopolitics of it are are all squared away. He could be a really a really strong value pick there if they want to go defenseman. All right, Scott. Last couple of things I've got for you here, and I really appreciate the time. Of course, last year going into last season, you had the Blue Jackets prospect pool ranked pretty high across the National Hockey League. Now that you've seen another year of David Yurichek and another season of Denton Matejchuk on top of a number of players that you've already mentioned that we've seen in the NHL for the Blue Jackets. What do you think of the organization right now? They're, you know, they're well positioned, and certainly in terms of the prospect pool. Um, they're, they're in a, a really good spot, and that's even after graduating Ken Johnson and not sort of including him as a prospect. And um, Obviously, Cole had his ups and downs this year, but I think Cole Sillinger is going to be just fine in the long term. Um, and, and they've got legitimate depth. Like we talked about the defensemen. Uh, they're now going to add uh, potentially a Will Smith or a Leo Carlson to the mix. I fully expect that they'll be right where they were this year in terms of my when I do my prospect pool rankings for next year. I think they're going to have a, a top five pool in the league uh, for the next couple of years here. So uh, eventually some of those guys are going to graduate. We're going to see David Yerichek take that next step. But that's that's also good news. So uh, this isn't you don't win the Stanley Cup with a prospect pool. These guys need to play. And um, I think they're going to I think they're going to get there between certainly between Matejcik, Juracek, if Zvozil and or Kuhlman's can be if one of those guys can become a, a solid NHL defenseman for you, I fully expect that Matejcik and Juracek will be that. Then suddenly you've got three. Uh, if you're lucky, maybe all four of them hit. But even if three of the four of those guys really figure it out, you're going to be in a really good spot on the blue line long term. And then between Kent Johnson, Cole Sillinger, 
um, whoever they add in this draft, it's it's going to be a plus Marchenko and him taking another step next year. It's it's going to be a good group up up front as well. So uh, they're, they're they'll get there. I know this year was a bit disappointing with all of the injury troubles and the the way that it all played out, but maybe it's a silver lining that they get to add another another high skill prospect and and sort of uh, sort of push push along in their process here. Certainly. I can't wait. I'm so excited for late June in Nashville. Uh, yet another NHL draft. We'll see what the Blue Jackets are able to add to the cupboard here and, and hopefully get that upward trajectory really ripping towards the future. Scott, thanks very much for taking the time. I really, uh, really enjoyed doing this. It was fun. Thanks, man. Anytime. All right. Again, that is Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. You can find all of his work by going to The Athletic. Scott, where can people follow you on socials, by the way? At Scott C. Wheeler on Twitter. And yeah, certainly uh, all of my work lives at The Athletic. I'll have, uh, if you'll allow me to plug on June 5th, my final board will be out. So we're, we're 10 days or so out from uh, the, the finale to my draft coverage, if you will. All right. Lots of good prospect stuff coming from Scott. So make sure to check it out again. Thanks very much to Scott Wheeler. And as always, thank you for joining us. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Pipeline Podcast presented by Ruoff Mortgage. I'll talk to you next week.